and beginning with verse 16. The writer of Hebrews is trying to explain to a, a people who had known a physical tabernacle. And the tabernacle was just a large tent, but it was set up in a specific way so that we could approach God without him, quote, breaking out against us and killing people because they would approach in an unworthy manner. And, and he explains through several different chapters that that was never meant to be the only way that we get into God's presence. It was just supposed to be a type and a shadow, a template of how to get there. And so we see here in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse 16, he says, For where there is a testament, so that'd be a writing or a will, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. Whoever is going to write that will, the only reason it's applicable is that they're going to die, and that something's going to die when or that something's going to happen when they die. Verse 17, For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, since we know this, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood, speaking of this tabernacle, this covenant that was made with God. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and according to the law, almost all things, it's important, all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Got it this morning? All right, let's pray and dismiss. You said you got it. That last part's very important. All, of the, all those previous words are pointing us in a direction, but this is what, unfortunately, if we're not careful as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, there's a growing percentage of Christianity that no longer has Christ and the cross at the centerpiece. Did you read that part where it says that without blood there'd be no remission of sin? If he didn't die, if he wasn't perfect, if he didn't die on the, on the cross and shed his blood, there would be no remission of sin our sin would not be covered, and then we stand in judgment of God. I don't want that for you, and I know I don't want it for me. So I am thankful this morning that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross as he went into the presence of God to be the perfect sacrifice so that his blood could take the place of our blood and that our sins would be covered, because without it, we will face the wrath of God, according to God's Word. So, that sets the pace for us as we're going to take a little quick look at the tabernacle this morning. Again, it's going to be very cursory. And, and what I want to remind you is this. That many, many people have taught on the tabernacle, and you've probably heard it. When I got here, there was like a full-size uh, version of the tabernacle, but we get hung up in the furniture. 
We get hung up in dimensions and heights and design, and, and it's not about that at all. I'm here to tell you right from the get-go, I'm not going to talk that much about the furniture. It's what it represents. It's the symbolic, because Jesus Christ represents every piece of the Old Testament tabernacle, if we'll pay attention. And Jesus is our access to God. Plain and simple. We don't have to have furniture. We don't have to walk through this process, but this process also helps us prepare our heart. That's why I'm sharing it this morning. If we can come to Jesus, then Jesus can get us to God. Because it says no one comes to the Father except through Him, Him being Jesus. So you think there's another way. Just following some furniture doesn't get us to Jesus. Following an Old Testament template doesn't get us to to God. The only way into the presence of God where we can come boldly is through Jesus, and His blood now covers us so that we can approach God without it causing death to us. Got it? All right, so let's take a a real quick look at this this morning, because again, uh, man... We just never have enough time, but I'm going to try to... You've got to listen fast because I'm going to talk fast, all right? Here we go. If you don't get anything else, I'll say it right at the beginning. God wants us in His presence. He is not a God that's standoffish and saying, don't approach me. What He's really saying is, I long for you to be in my presence, not for me. You see, His presence doesn't come for Him. His presence comes for us. We are changed in His presence. We should desire His presence. And that's been that flop. Like I'm saying, I'm not not talking about an age group. I'm just talking about modern Christianity. There was a time when it was such an honor for the high priest that he'd walk through this process of cleansing, of literally washing himself and being prayed over and then putting on holy garments and dressing himself just so and then walking through the tabernacle process for the hope, for the privilege of pressing behind the veil to be in the presence of God. And he would come out and share and explain how awesome it was that the cloud of God filled the tent. God's presence, His tangible, manifest presence was there. But now it's like today, we're like, I don't know if I want to go through the trouble. You know, I want the presence of God, but I've got to do all that. I just don't know if it's worth it. Can I tell you this morning, it's worth it? And that's the problem, is we're not so sure it's worth it. You don't think it's worth it because you haven't been there yet. If you've ever experienced God, you know it's worth it. Whatever it takes, however it takes, whatever you got to do, and sometimes He surprises us and just shows up. Right? But other times we need to prepare and we can see God's presence if we'll walk the right path. But again, it's not about the doing. It's not about the furniture. We're just going to describe it this morning. So here we go. We all live in the outer court. If you were to look at a picture of this, Jesus or God was at the very center of this thing. There were seven foot high linen curtains that surrounded the camp of God. And everybody on the outside, this is called the outer court. This is where they lived and breathed and played and raised their children. This is the natural world. This is where we all live. We live in an outer court. But it's separated from the inner court. 
There's our public lives that people see. And then there's an inner life that we have as well. But there's only one way you don't climb the fence. You don't slip under the curtains. There's only one way through, and that is through the gate. Now, Jesus himself says, I am the gate. Come through the narrow gate. That narrow gate leads to life. You see, we're trying to find a different way to get in, and he says the only way to get in is through me. I'm the gate. I'm the access. If you want to get in the presence of God, come through me. I'll open freely to you, but you can't climb over. You can't go under. You can't go around. You've got to come through me, and you'll have the presence of God. But that means you've got to step from the public, from the flesh, from the natural man and woman into Jesus into the spiritual. You see, even different types of light. In the outer court, there's only natural light, the sunlight. But then as you move in, you get into that holy place that we'll discuss in a little bit. There's no sun. It's dark in there except for the light of the lampstand. And it's no longer natural light. Now it's the light of the Holy Spirit. And then we move a little bit deeper. If you're brave enough, if you'll push in enough, you move past that, there's not even a lampstand anymore. Now it's the light of God. That Shekinah glory, that manifest presence that shows up over the mercy seat. But we're going to stop right there because that's the first part. There's people here that you've been attending church for years and years and years, and maybe this is the day that you need to hear the most. Church doesn't get you into God's presence. Church doesn't make you into heaven. Church doesn't make you a better person or an even a follower of Jesus Christ. The only way in is through the narrow gate, which is Jesus Christ. Narrow gate does not equal narrow mind. But what it's really saying is, you leave all your baggage, you leave all that stuff, and you realize that the access is through him. It's not because of you. You didn't do anything to earn the right to go through the gate. You just made a decision. And that's where it hangs us up. It's the most simplest thing. It's a decision to follow Christ. It's a decision to keep moving forward. And so if you've never done that, please, please hear my heart this morning. Begging you. And it's going to sound narrow. It may even sound harsh. But if you do not have a conversion story where you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you are not saved. You can be sitting here, and you were raised in church, and your daddy and your granddaddy and your uncles were all preachers, but that doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't make you saved. If you don't have a point in time, you don't have to remember the date, the hour, the moment, but if you know that I've never said those words, Lord, I surrender my life to you, I want you as my Savior, you're not saved. And you're fooling yourself. You're still on the outer court saying, I'm a follower, and yet you've never gone in. And you can look through the Scriptures to see if that holds true with what the Bible truly says. He actually warns us of this when he says, there were many in that day who say, Lord, Lord. But he didn't know them. 
And you know what breaks my heart on this? And I've said this before. I've met people who've grown up in church and I ask them about their salvation story and they don't have one and I say, let's just fix that right now and they're resistant, it's pride. That somehow they're too proud. Their heritage, their long standing in the church, they used to teach Sunday school, they used to do lots of things, but they've never had a moment for themselves where they say, just like baptism, if you've been baptized, you know you got baptized. But if you haven't, you've seen people, you've experienced it, you've even been around. You know what baptism's about, but you've never been in the tank. My question is, please, 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 why would you let pride hold you back? Before pride is a fall, God opposes the proud. Please, please make your true decision Please make a real sincere decision. I want to know that I know that I chose Jesus Christ. And it's that simple and it's that important that we're going to stop right here for anybody that hasn't done it. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Here we go. Lord, if there is anybody here this morning that they don't have that story, they may have grown up in church. They've been in church their whole life. They've they've never known a time when they haven't been in church, but yet they don't have a story. I pray that they would find the courage this morning to lay down their pride and just say these words, Lord, I choose you. I need you as my Savior. I am a sinner that must be washed in your blood. So I lay down my life, I lay down my heritage, and I follow you wherever you lead the rest of my days. I accept your forgiveness and the new life that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. That's how easy it is. And maybe you're not ready to make that decision right now, but now you know how to make that decision, right? That's just me being a good pastor. You can thank me later, all right? Here we go. Then from that outer court, we move into the inner court. And I want to tell you this because you got to get this in today's consumer mentality. No one shows up in the inner court empty-handed. And believe me, we're not talking about another offering this morning. We're not talking about money. We're talking about if you're going into the inner, inner court, that means you're bringing something to be sacrificed. Nobody shows up and says, hey, I'm here, let's meet God. And they're like, where's your sacrifice? Didn't bring one. Then the journey stops here. Again, another sign of our times. We want the Savior without a sacrifice. We want the presence without preparation. And without preparation, it could cause a death. Just like Adam and Eve found out. They didn't dry right there, but they began a process of death and separation from God. And I don't want that for you. He is that gate. And he said that we should come into his presence with thanksgiving. You got this? And praise and blessing. Psalm 100 says this. Come into his presence with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Why do we have to, what do we got to praise about? It's raining, it's cold, it's, we've got a Savior that took away our sins and he's given us access through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've got everything to praise about. We've got everything to be thankful about, don't we? 
But if not, it's just this process. Oh, I got to go to church. I got to get ready. I got to get dressed. We should be the most praiseful, thankful people on the planet because we know who saved us and who we are. And I'm not here to lay any guilt chip on any of us. I'm just saying we got to open up our eyes that if we want the presence of God, maybe it takes a little preparation instead of just strolling in. He's not Starbucks. He's not a barista that we just give him our order and he shows up. He's worthy of so much more, isn't he? And what he's asking is so simple. It's still found in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad this morning? Think about that process. You would have to bring in a sheep or a goat, and you'd lead it in on a little leash and present it to the priest. And Now, get it for a minute. Use your imagination. It's hot. It's the Israel desert. It's 110 degrees in the shade, and you're standing out there as the priest examines your animal. Not only that, you're not the only one there that day. You've got a million people camped around, and you're standing in line. And he examines the animal. And then an amazing thing happens. He hands you the knife. You both put your hand on the animal to, quote, transfer your sin from your family onto the animal because every sin requires a sacrifice. You pray, ask for God to forgive you, and eh, blood is collected in a vase, basin. The animal's prepared. The guts are taken away. It's stretched out on a big barbecue altar. God loves barbecue. And it's consumed until it's gone. Now imagine the stench in 110 degree heat. Blood, slaughtered animals, and they're cooking it hair and all until it's gone and it falls through the grate. You ever smell burnt hair? Mmm. Now, I say that for this. You know what God says? That is a sweet aroma. Now, God likes the smell of burnt hair, but he says that our sin is a stench in his nostrils. So what smells good to us, oh, the sin is pleasurable for a moment. He says, that is such a stench to me, give me some burnt hair. <laughs> okay? Then we're not going to get hung up there. I just want you to understand this. Then we go from there. It's not a permanent all-day thing. There's a sacrifice. There's a, you've brought your sacrifice, and now you do something amazing. You've paid for your sin through the sacrifice and the blood, right? Then you step up to a thing called the laver, and it had fresh water, and it was polished for two reasons. Is if you're going to step forward, you've got to be cleansed. So you wash all the blood and gore off of you. And the only way you know if it's all off is you've got to look into the mirror, the mirror of Scripture. And the Bible tells us as we look into a mirror, now we see darkly, but soon we'll see face to face. And the Scripture's designed for that, not to point it at other people, which the church has been awesome at in the years past, right? We use Scripture to point it at people instead of Scripture to be a mirror that shows us where we're at. So I look in this laver, and I wash myself. And remember that he is that wash pot. He says, I'll wash you with the water of the word. Right? He is, our, he is our cleansing, not us. He does all of that. He is that labor as well. And then after you get past that, then we move on to this next step. But 
There has to be this thanksgiving, this praise, this sacrifice, this cleansing, this preparation, and repentance. That's really what it means is, God, thank you. That sin is gone. It is dead now. And I'm ready to move forward. Okay? Here's what's awesome. What happens if you stop at the laver? Because this is most of our modern-day worship. That's worship. Worship has ended. But some of us didn't engage yet because you had to push a little past the flesh. <laughs> wasn't your type of song. wasn't your atmosphere. I get all that. But, but you notice that this is supposed to be a sacrifice of praise. Can I tell you that there are mornings that I don't feel like praising God? that I don't feel like preaching, that I don't feel like teaching, that I don't feel like being here, and I don't feel like seeing you. And I know that there's days where you don't feel like seeing me and hearing me, and, and it feels like we're just going through the motions. That's where the sacrifice kicks in, that I choose to stand on the front row and praise my God whether I feel like it at the beginning, because I'll tell you what, I've never finished a worship service here where I didn't feel like worshiping at the end. I may have started distracted or tired, but by the time I get done, because I choose to worship, I make a sacrifice of praise. I will worship you. I will lift my voice. I will raise my hands. I'm not just being a hypocrite. I will step into your presence. And it's a choice. I want to empower you with that choice. You're not being a hypocrite if you do what you don't feel like doing. It's being a sacrifice. Well, I don't feel like it today, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. You're being a hypocrite being at church then. <laughs> don't go to work either, because I bet you there's a bunch of hypocrites that didn't want to go, and they still showed up. Isn't that funny? We always saw all those hypocrites at church. You work with them every day. Every one of them said, man, I wish you wouldn't have to be here. The only reason they're there is a paycheck. Did you know that God told Abraham, I am your very great reward. Now, you don't get paid to be here and to worship. He is our reward. And it's a very great reward. You see what he's saying? Your reward is getting into my presence. Yes, there's some preparation. Just like getting up in the morning. You don't get to get up in the morning and keep your pajamas. Well, I can't say that anymore, but I'm going to make an assumption. We shouldn't get up and keep our pajamas on and go to work. We have to prepare. Hopefully you showered. You put on some deodorant. You prepared yourself for the day. You didn't just walk out in your boxers and your T-shirt and going to work. Got your steel-toed slippers on. I mean, come on. And isn't it funny that we prepare to go to work, but we don't prepare to come into his presence? And which one's really more important? Which one will stand the test of time? Which one will we have in eternity? Work? Thank God. <laughs> there needs to be a preparation. And so I encourage you at this step, don't check out during worship. Don't check out during times of praise and prayer at the altar. It's an important process for your heart and your mind and your spirit to line up. You see, your spirit is always ready to worship God. 
Your spirit is always ready to pray. The spirit is willing. It's the flesh that's weak. You never have to convince your spirit to praise God. It's ready to go. Problem is our body gets tired, our mind gets distracted, our heart gets a little hardened, and that's what worship is there for. It's that process of sacrifice. It's that process of washing and cleansing and looking at ourselves and, and man, Lord, you're still worthy no matter how I feel this morning. You are still good even when I'm in bad times. You're still good and I am still going to worship you. It's a sacrifice of praise and coming into his presence and his courts with thanksgiving. You've got a lot to be thankful for. The fact that you can walk in here should make you thankful. Then we move on. You've been to the altar. You've been to the, the laver. Now we step into the holy place. Now remember, this was restricted. In the Old Testament, only the high priest could go to this place. You try to go to this place, and they just chase you down and kill you. But because of Jesus Christ, we now have access to the holy place. You step in there, and the first thing you notice is there's no natural light. It's covered with a thick amount of black goat's hair covered with badger skins that stretch over, and it's an actual separate place. It's the only indoor place in there. Everything else is out in the open, hot sand. You've got a big barbecue pit. You've got some slaughtering tables with flesh hooks and all kinds of uh, tools of the trade. You've got this big laver, a big place to wash, and then there's a little tent-like structure. This lampstand is symbolic of the illumination of the Spirit and the Word of God. Psalm 119 says, You are a light unto my path, right? And it's that combination of that oil going up in the lampstand, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, lighting up the Word in that place, which is the bread. Across of it is the bread, the table of showbread, which is talking about fellowship with God. How do we fellowship with God? It's not just shaking hands. We have fellowship through His Word. As we read it, we know Him, and He is revealed to us, and He comes alive in our hearts. It's not just dead ink on white paper. This is living Word for us, that we learn who He is and how He is and what He's doing and where we're going, if you'll look at it. But it, it takes the illumination of the Spirit to do that, because without it, I looked at this before I got saved, and it's just words. Hard to understand. You look at this through the light of salvation and a brand new spirit awakening, and I was hungry for it, and I'm still hungry for it. This thing can consume you and feed you, and it'll make you more hungry to know more, and you can take a couple little passages, and you can talk about them for months. Or they're just words on a page that I read and check off because you've learned how to read it. But there's no illumination of the Spirit. There's no fellowship with Jesus Christ. You're just doing it because you think you're still in the Old Testament. I've got to do it to see God. Can I tell you that not, there's not enough Bible reading you can do? The only way you see God is through Jesus Christ. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the Word. He is the one that gives us the fellowship with God that we can stand in His presence and not be snuffed out. He's our intermediary. He's our intercessor. 
In fact, the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to teach us how to pray according to the word. That's why you should read your Bible. There's good stuff in here. You should read it. It's not just something you carry around. It's not just something to decorate your table with. And you should be thankful we got it on our phones. You don't have to carry it around anymore. It's right there. You don't even have to memorize where stuff's at. You can dial it in. Aren't we thankful? Aren't you thankful? During that holy place. And there's three things in there. Not only the lamp stand on this table of showbread where he says he is the bread of life that the priest could eat of that bread that was made. But then at the end, right in front of the veil is the altar of incense. And this is our prayer life. So do you see this passage that we enter through the narrow gate and that's not where we stop? Then there's a sacrifice of praise. And then there's a washing of the word and a repentance of knowing where we've been. The water reflects back on us. We know who we've been. And now we've been cleansed by that water. We proceed. And now we have fellowship with God. And now the word is illuminated to us. And now our prayers are a sweet aroma to God. He even says that's how our life is supposed to be in the New Testament, that our lives should be a sweet aroma to God. Why? Because we're a burning flesh. <laughs> we're killing that flesh as we step into the holy place. And he's like, I smell burnt hair, and that is good. When I smell your flesh dying, it is a sweet, sweet fragrance in my nose. But when I smell your pride and your arrogance and your flippant, casual attitude in approaching me, it is a stench. And remember, it's not about works. Jesus fulfilled it all. That's why we don't have the furniture out. That's why we're ta talking about how many paces it was from here to there or how big it is or any of this stuff because it's not about that. It's all about Jesus. He is the furniture of the tabernacle. He is the covering of the tabernacle. He is the lampstand. He is the word. He is our fellowship. He is every piece of the tabernacle fulfilled so that we have access to God. But you can't just come to him empty-handed. You can't just come to him in arrogance. You can't just do what we've always done and think we get the presence of God. That's why people don't find God. Got no plan. They've got no preparation. I just show up. There's also this balance of the light and the bread and the incense spread at these intervals, helping us understand that the Word and God and the Holy Spirit in balance, because with, with those things out of balance, we get messed up. If you're just a Word person, no Holy Spirit, you're out of balance. If you're just a Spirit person, no Word, you got no anchor. <laughs> if you're just a prayer person and you've got no Spirit and no, you probably won't be much of a prayer person. But all three of those, the Word, the prayer, and the Holy Spirit, that brings us to the veil. That brings us right to the presence of God. But that's not where we stop. You could choose to back out at that point. The question would be, why would you? Modern day application is this. This is the portion of the 
of the service, what we're talking about, the holy place. Not because it's me, but we're talking about the Word and we're talking about the Spirit. And this is where a lot of people check out. It's just about the worship. Want this great worship. Well, worship can bring people in, but worship doesn't always usher you into His presence unless you make the next little step. Music in and of itself is powerful. It resonates in us. God gave us that ability, but He wants more for you than just being a music Christian. You need the Spirit of God. You need the Word of God. You need the fellowship of God. You need to develop your prayer life. And again, these are not through this different actions i got to do step by step. This is just becomes a lifestyle. And how you find to do it, you need to find your flow. How you do it may be different than mine. So again, there's no step A, step B. I'm just telling you about a path this morning. Believe me, you don't have to go home and set up a tent in your backyard and get a lampstand. Thank God we don't have to do all that stuff, right? You can find him in your shower. You can find him in your car as you're driving. You can find him as you're watching TV. You can find him in your quiet places. God is available because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But he can't drag you into his presence. That's still your choice. Couple more. Now you have a choice to go beyond the veil. Today there is no longer a physical veil that was that used to separate everybody and only the high priest could come in. Now we can all come in. If you read the 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 word about Jesus being uh, dying on the cross, it says there is a, a a lightning earthquake, the sky grew dark, and in the temple. The veil tore from the top to the bottom. I'm telling you, that was no easy task. This was a thick piece of fabric. But it wasn't about the strength of tearing it. It was about the access that he wants for you and me. And notice that his death gave us access. None of our good works gave us access. His death gave us access into the holy place. And this is where that priest would carry the blood. He'd have to go beyond the veil. He'd have to carry that blood from that animal into the place of fellowship. And Aaron and the priests, they were even specifically, they put it on their right ear, their right thumb, and their right toe. All representative of stuff that we don't have time to talk about this morning. But think about something that's 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. Now, to give you an understanding, look up for just a minute. Those are 33-foot ceilings. Think of how massive this veil must have looked to people. How would I ever get past that? Easy. On your knees. You see? How it was strategically set up that that altar of incense, there are prayers, we're already in the kneeling, submitted position to God. I doubt that you could push hard enough against something that massive, 30 feet wide, as thick as a man's hand, and just walk through it. (laughs) But you get on your knees into the presence of God. Nobody but the high priest could go in there. And even then, 
God showed up in a cloud so that his presence wouldn't kill the person that was in there. And they actually, according to Hebrew tradition, they would wear little bells on their robe so that the other priests could make sure they hear them. Because if a priest went in unprepared, God's presence, bam, killed them. Now they got a problem. I can't go in because I'm not the high priest. <laughs> you want to know what's sad? They had to find that out somehow. Somebody had to go in unprepared one day. And then the tradition changed. Not only taking the blood and embers from the altar of incense to fill up with smoke, but now you've got a rope tied around your leg so that if the bells stop ringing, they can drag you out. Because anybody else that would be a good Samaritan to run in to God's presence to drag you out would be dead. And then the next person, there'd be a bunch of lemmings <laughs> dying, coming into God's presence. But that veil is supposed to be a symbol of us understanding how big and wide and hard a blocking point our sin was in the presence of God. And that was there to protect us, not him. He can handle your sin. The problem is we can't handle his glory. I want you to let that sink in a little bit. He can handle our sin. We just can't handle his glory. And it was there to protect us. Not to keep that patch of sand holy and sanctified. It was just sand. Just like our modern day church, it's filled with vulnerable, broken, hurt people. There's nothing particularly holy about this concrete floor covered with carpet. It's what we represent when we come in here. Because if this building was gone, we can still worship God. And there's no veil that keeps us out anymore. Your good works, your sin, Jesus took care of that. So let's say you dare to push past that holy place into the most holy place, or some people call it the holy of holies. You're going to see two articles in there. One that looks like one, which is amazing. Great symbolism we don't have time to get into today. But there's the ark, the lower portion that the Israelites used to carry into battle. And God always let them win until it got captured one day. It's got the Ten Commandments in there, God's principles. It's got a pot of, the, pot of the manna that God had provided. It's representative of God's provision. It's got Aaron's staff in there, representative of God's power. And yet Jesus was the law, was the healing, was the provider, was the power, wasn't he? And then on top of that is another ornate piece of gold with two cherubims. And if you ever wonder what a cherubim is, this is where we get our idea of angels with wings, massive creatures with large wings, facing each other, facing the center of the mercy seat, bowed down in their wings, coming up over them, and it's placed on top of the ark. And it's on that mercy seat that the priest would take that blood and sprinkle representing the sins of the nation. Had it just been the ark, 
law would have demanded a death. Law would have commanded that somebody would have to give up a firstborn. <laughs> but because of that mercy seat, they can approach it and sprinkle the blood symbolically for the covering of their sin. And the nation was right with God again. And God would lead them. And they would set up camp again and he would be at their center. And all of his people would surround him just like he wants today. But Jesus is the one that satisfied that so that we don't have to do that anymore. His blood, it says that no, no goats and no bulls could ever satisfy, but he died once for all to become not only our high priest, but our perfect sacrifice. So to come to God without a knowledge of Jesus is an affront, it's a stench. That's why it's so important that we know Jesus if we're going to try to approach God. That's why we must never set aside the weight of our sin because it was his blood that gives us access. It's not our identifier of who we are. We are now identified with Jesus Christ. Joint heirs, grafted in, spiritually adopted. No guilt, no shame, just moving forward into the presence of God. And we can come boldly, he says, but only boldly through the blood. Not our works, not our heritage, not our education. And aren't you glad we don't have to rebuild this, the furniture? We've got to find the right specifications. We've got to find the right workmen. We've got to find the, I mean, it cost millions to rebuild this today because most of it was gold and some copper and bronze just to build the tent and the, the linen and the beams and the posts and the lampstand would be staggering and we'd be no closer to God than we are right now because it's required of Jesus to get into the presence of God so what's our takeaway this morning I'm glad you asked If you're an outer court person this morning, it's time to step in. You've been wondering it. You've been wondering, how do I get closer to God? I just can't get there. It's going to take stepping in. You don't want to be on the outside looking in. Step in. Step out of the natural. Step out of your public. This is where I always live and play and that public life into the spiritual if you're an inner court person, you've been stuck up in all the sacrifice and all the legalism, it's time to move past that religion into relationship this morning. All your good works ain't getting it done. You got to move past that. You got to move past that. And maybe you're the person that you've known the Spirit, but you still feel like you're hung up. You feel like you're stuck. It says you just boldly enter into his presence. You've prepared. You've got the balance of the word and the spirit and your prayer life. You prayed up. Then you allow that word to move you beyond the veil. There's no magic trick. There's no mysticism. There's no guru you need to see. It's you moving forward. Being humble enough to be bold enough 
to step into his presence. Why? Because he wants you there. He wants you in his presence. He wants his presence in our lives. Your daily life. (laughs) Not just your once a year, your Christmas and Easter life. Because with that presence, we're transformed.